0: You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. First, let me um, say thank you. The reason I am here is because your pastor is preaching at my church. That's how these things work. We trade favors with each other when we need it from time to time. And I asked Dave, I was like, hey, for the summer we need some folks to preach. Would you be willing to do it? And he's like, Absolutely what are you doing that Sunday? And I was like, (laughs) well, clearly I can't tell you that I'm preaching that Sunday, so I am very thankful to be here. I love coming to this church. Like, it is such a sweet fellowship. I love what you do. I love the way that you love the city of Alcoa, and especially the school and the faculty here. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. So thank you so much for the way that you do that. And I'm sorry that you're getting the raw end of the deal between the two of us this morning. So... Let's look, our uh, sermon passage for today comes from the book of Nehemiah, it's chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah in the right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchachah, Hashem, Hashbadan, Zechariah, Meshlam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Yeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Keita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave sense so the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. So do not mourn or weep." For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, "Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing. Ready for this day is the day. This day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord." Is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the works of the law. They found it written in the law of the Lord that had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths. That is written. So people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and the square at the water gate, square the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what it says to us and shows us. Father, thank you that we are called to be your people. And that means people who not just hear the word, but do the word. And Lord, we so often can't do that. We don't have the power in our own spirit to do it, but you give us your Holy Spirit. You give us your grace and mercy and empower us that we may be your examples by how we listen and how we love and how we live. To help us, we pray to do that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I love that you guys are looking at the book of Nehemiah. Um, It is funny, I've, I've talked to lots of people, lots of churches who've done this. We've done this before too pretty recently, because we do say that God's word should instruct us in how we live this life. And though the Bible has lots of places where God's people go through difficult trials, it is a rare moment when we see how they come back. And that's what Nehemiah does. As we return from a pandemic and return to somewhat of normal life, how do we come back? How do we go back to normal? Or how do we start to decide how normal should look moving forward. Because one thing that's so important about the book of Nehemiah is not everything needs to be rebuilt. Not everything that was there before comes back to being in the exact same way. And I think for us, as we come back from a pandemic, what a great thing for us to think about and focus on as well. And as you see in the context of what's going on, this is a quick reminder. Um, God's people were sent into exile because of their sin. They've been released and brought back. Nehemiah had the heart and desire to come back and build the wall of Jerusalem with people with him, resources, protection from the king. And they built the wall in 52 days, which is a pretty amazing feat of all the things that they had to do. And so then Nehemiah then goes, okay, what are the things that are most important next? Let's get some Levites. Let's get some singers. Let's get some gates on the doors. And then we have this beautiful picture that we read this morning. And I think to start with it, we have to understand that we all have something that, tells us or instructs us on how to live. Some people might call it, you know, a mission or a life goal or expectations. It could be your 401k. It could be, you know, the things that you've learned as a kid. It may be the society and culture that you're around. But something every day determines who you are, how you decide, what you do. Let me give you a great example. The Code of the Elves. How many people know the Code of the Elves? Treat every day like Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You see it first minute they're like going, what is he talking about? Yeah, the movie Elf, if you remember Buddy the Elf, there was a code of the Elves. Treat every day like Christmas, there's room for everybody on the nice list. And the greatest way to spring Christmas cheer is wow, we're all here. This side understands. <laughs> Y'all get it. And that's a silly example, but think about this. So Buddy goes into a world very different than his own, and what does he do? He lives out his code. Everything he says, everything he does, every interaction he has with other people is based on this belief of his life and how his life should be lived. There is a beauty in his confidence in this is who I am, this is what I'm supposed to be. So we need to understand that on the front end. Something today is instructing you on how to live your life. When you walk out the door today, when you go into work next week, when you interact with other people, there's something that helps you determine what to do and how to do it. And for God's people, as they're returning from exile, they were caught in that same place that we are. What is going to help us? What's going to instruct us? Because think about this. This is over 70 years they're in exile. So for most of these people, their entire life was lived in a very different culture than the one that they should have been in. And then for a few of them, they have these faint, distant memories of what it was like to be one of God's people, to be in God's land, to worship the one true and living God. But what we find is as these people come back and have pretty much a blank slate to figure out what to do with life, that the first thing they want to do is what are we going to base our life on? And we see them as they approach God's word for that purpose. We're going to see three things that they do. They longed for it. They listened to it. And they lived it out. So think about this at first. They get together. They have now built the wall. Okay, 52 days. I don't know what you do after a long project. Maybe you've been doing renovations in your house or something like that. Maybe there's other things that you've done during this pandemic. Maybe those moments where it's been this really hard thing that you've done. And at the end, what do you do? Do you take a vacation? Good choice. Do you just take a break and take a rest? Probably also a good choice. God's people have been building the wall for 52 days. Some of them, it was the reason and purpose in their minds that they came. The project is done. It's time to kick your feet up. It's time to do whatever people did at that time to kind of relax and enjoy. But you notice that's not what they do. They don't barely wait two days. And the people say, we want God's word. And notice it comes from them. We would expect Ezra, which Ezra kind of jumps in the scene of Nehemiah finally. Ezra, who had been sent by Artaxerxes to come and teach the people we expect him, is like, okay, hey, guys, you know, we got to get rid of this God's word thing. This is kind of important. We need to get into this. doesn't say that. What does it say? It says the people. It says they, they commanded him. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. They wanted it. They longed for it. It wasn't that their leaders said, oh, hey, this is good for you. It's like, we need this. We need to reorient our lives. We used to be people of the book, and we want to be people of the book again, and we don't know how. So bring it to us. Remember, at this time, they didn't have their own specific scroll with the Old Testament and the law on it. There was just a handful of copies. And they're saying, we want, we long for, Come and teach to us. Come and speak to us. Come and do for us. And what they didn't want, they didn't want Ezra's thoughts. And they didn't want Nehemiah's rah-rah speech of, look how great we are, we're Israel, we built the wall. They said, bring us the law. Bring us the law that God gave to Moses, that beautiful picture of what they need. And so he does He comes out, brings out the scroll, the thing that they needed more than anything else. Because especially during this time, this is a very important month in the Jewish calendar. The seventh month was when the Feast of Trumpets happened. It was when the Day of Atonement happened. And it was also when the Feast of Tabernacles happened. So they see, we're back, we're here, we want this. But they didn't just long for it, they listened to it. And I don't know about you where maybe in my life there's been moments where I really want something until I get that thing. I'm like, I didn't really want that. That's really not the thing that I wanted. I I like the idea of it rather than the practical application of it. But they wanted it and then listened to it and listened to how they actively listened. says that they wept. says that they shouted amen. They raised their hands. They bowed their heads. They said that they stood at the reading of God's word. Now, Let's be clear. If you look in this, it tells you about how long it took them to do that. They did this from dawn until midday. For six hours, they would stand at the reading of God's word. It makes a 25-minute sermon seem a little bit more palatable, doesn't it? Six hours they listened, soaking up every word. And you notice how they responded as they're listening to it? They wept. They wept. They were cut to the core. Their sin has been exposed. They realize all the ways that they went wrong, all the things that led them into exile. It is so obvious, and it is so clear in this moment. They were listening intently, and you know why? Because they expected God to speak. How often do I put this in front of me, but I don't expect anything to happen? I don't expect God to actually speak to my heart. I'm going through the motions. I'm checking it off the list. I'm making my notes. I'm writing some things down. But they came desperate and expectant that God was going to show up in that moment. That's why they wanted. They knew his presence is with his people and with his word. So they gather longing for it. But what's so amazing is what Ezra and others tell them to do. Don't weep. Because God's word doesn't just show us our problems, it prescribes the remedy and the antidote to our problems. What he's going to say is like, this is a holy day unto the Lord. Yes, did you sin over and over again? Yes, did you deserve exile? Yes, did you deserve all these things that happened to you? And yet, rejoice, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He was pleased to move the heart of Cyrus. He was pleased to let you out of exile. He was pleased to bring you back home. He was pleased to protect you from the enemies as you built the wall. He is pleased that his word is going out to you now. And a few weeks from this moment, they're going to celebrate again the Day of Atonement you're going to hear the beautiful and blessed reminder that your sins can be forgiven, that they are paid for by the sacrifice of the perfect lamb. So he wants them to rejoice. He says, now go take care of those that don't have. We're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate. We're going to be excited about this. Go find the poor who don't have anything. Give them what they need that we may celebrate the Lord. They deeply listened, heard what it had to say, thought about what it meant, let it affect their lives, affect their emotions, affect their giving, affect everything of who they were. Because they understood the secret to all of this is by taking God at his word. As they look to the law, as they look back to what God had said, that He is their God and they are his People. He is loving and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for his people. They had a hope that went beyond the circumstances they found themselves around. They longed for it. They listened to it. Then they lived it out. Which is the hardest part, isn't it? Easy for us to read God's word. Easy us to hear a sermon. Easy for... The hard part is we go, okay, now what? How should we live? What should we do differently? How should we then be in society with our friends, with our families, with our peers, with our neighbors, because of what we believe? What difference should that truly make for each and every one of us and how important that was? And what did they do? It says that they began to celebrate something that hadn't been celebrated in a long time the Feast of Tabernacles. As a reminder, this is what happened. When they were in the wilderness, God's people lived in these kind of shack, tabernacle-type things, tents and stuff, that were movable. Because God said, all right, we're going to stay here for a while, and we're going to you know, enjoy the manna and the quail, and when it's time to go, pack it up. We're moving on. It's like extreme camping. If you've ever gone camping before, if you decided to camp in like 16 places at one time over like a month, I'm sorry. But if you did that, this is sort of what that's like. And so they're saying what's going on with this? And he learned it because what happens? The head of the households go to the Levites and to the teachers who've decided not only are we going to tell them God's word, we're going to teach them. He says we're going to make it understandable. We're going to make it in a language that they get, in a way that they can apply. It's why you're involved in a small group. It's why you come to a church where there's preaching. Hopefully that's what happens. That God's word is made plain to you. It's put applicable to your place and time in life. Though it might make sense that you're testing it with other believers and other folks to know the things that they love and the things that they believe about Christ. But then, as the head of households learned, as they're learning more, as they're talking more, they realize there's this feast out there that we haven't done. And you know what the Bible tells us here? They haven't done it since Joshua. Since they entered into the promised land, there had been no celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering God's great provision for them. And so they start to do it. They build these tabernacles on their roofs, in the gates, all around where people can see. It's a visible representation of what they believe. When I lived, we lived in Memphis, Tennessee for 12 years, and there was a Messianic synagogue, which if you've ever... I know that sounds odd, but it's like Jews who still live out their Jewish faith, but they believe in Jesus Christ. And every year they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was fascinating. The only reason I knew where it was is because the Chick fil A was like a quarter mile away. So driving by the Chick fil A, they literally built booths, and their church lived in them for a week. Like their entire church, lawn, parking lot, tents, booths, random stuff. And it was a great conversation starter with lots of people. Hey, what's going on at the, that weird church like the, with like the Hebrew words? I don't understand what that stuff is. What's going on? I got to have conversation after conversation with students and adults to say, oh, you know what that is? That's them living out their faith in what they believe. That's them taking what they believe God's words told them as a representation And as a way to show God's love and God's truth to other people. Because guess what? It worked because you asked the question. How often do we live following Christ in such a way that people go, what is that about? What is he doing? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute with the way that I see this culture in this world because we live in a culture that says that it's okay for everyone to have their own way of doing things. There is no absolute, there is no law, there is no right, there is no wrong. So, we as God's people, as we stand up to what's right and wrong and to do things and to obey His word, we make a difference. People go, There's something different about that. When I watch how they treat people who don't look like them, there's something different about them. When I see how they love and care for the poor, there's something different about them. When I see the way that they love each other when they're struggling, there's something different about them. They lived out God's word. It wasn't good enough for them just to get it. It wasn't good enough for them just to listen to it. It wasn't good enough to know, hey, we got Ezra and Nehemiah. Whenever we need it, we'll get a little more of it. They wanted to put it immediately to practice in their families, in their lives, in their communities, in this new city. Because you know what? They didn't build the wall to build a wall. They built a wall so they could worship God. They didn't build a wall just to build a wall like, okay, we did it. We built a wall. Good job, everybody. High fives. They built a wall that they may worship God and that they may reflect him. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what big project you've had on your heart that you're doing and you're thinking, I don't even know what the, I'm just doing it. I'm going to be done. We have an opportunity now as God's people to not just listen to his word, but to obey his word and for that to make a difference in the world around us. It's our unique calling and unique gift. As a part of doing student ministry for a really long time, um, the hardest part for me was funerals of kids. Um, I went to too many of those. One was too many, and I went to way more than one. And to have to try to give solace and comfort to parents who've lost a child, which no one should ever have to go through. Um, and it's hard, and it's hard to give them hope and truth when they are just rightfully so bitterly in anguish. One sticks out above all the rest to me, of the ones that I've gotten to be a part of, um, and there was this dad Dad who was well-respected, well-known in the community. People loved him. He had lots of influence, lots of space. And his son died through a tragic accident, and he was just devastated, as you can possibly imagine. And as we're kind of talking about the funeral, and I got to be there, which was a surprise, but I was very thankful I could because I didn't live there anymore. He wanted to read scripture at the funeral. Um, He's a better man than I am, because there's no way I think I could possibly have pulled that off or done that. And as he stood up and with tears in his eyes, as we've celebrated the very way too short life of his son, he says, I just want to say thank you first to all of you guys who have sent messages and texts and well wishes and notes. Gosh, that means so much to me. But can I tell you that this is the thing that's meant the most to me? He goes, I've read my Bible more in the last week than I probably have in my entire life as someone who has followed Jesus for a long time. He's like, I think I could memorize, I think I've got it memorized, but I better read it just in case. And he reads John 11 to the whole crowd. And he says, you know what? God's word used to be a thing that I do. And now it's a thing that I am. He's like, it's changed. He's like, it's come alive in a way that I almost wish I never knew, but I'll never be the same because of it. He says, when I hear that I, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it makes all the difference. When he is comforting Mary and Martha and says, do you believe you will see him again? I know that I will see my son again. And when Jesus weeps, I know that he weeps with me today too. And what's so amazing about him saying that is probably 75% of the people in that funeral did not know Jesus. They're his work associates. They're the Rotary Club. They're the people that just are influential in town. And he said this to them, which I thought was, it's about as close to an altar call as I've ever heard at a funeral. If you're sitting there now feeling sad for me for what I've lost, it's because you don't understand what I've gained in Christ that I have a hope that you will never understand or never experience apart from him because I believe his word. And his word tells me that there is a place where my son is right now and I'll be with him again someday. As he smiles through the tears of the whole thing. A beautiful example of someone who longed for God's word, who listened to it, but more than all that, they lived it out. The same call that God's people had in Nehemiah's time, the same call that we have today, that we may be the doers of this beautiful and wonderful and perfect word of grace and mercy, not because it earns us some favor from God, but because of what he's done for us, because he died for us, because he's forgiven us, he has given us a story to tell that the whole world needs to hear. And his word reminds us of that. So let us know this book. Let us love this book. But let us live this book out before an unbelieving world. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your grace and mercy for us. We thank you for the truth of your scriptures. We thank you for the hope that the Old Testament folks had in the day of atonement and that our hope is better because we know Christ. We know the perfect sacrifice. And as we come and even think about this table, we are constantly reminded of your grace and mercy poured out for us, that you willingly died, you willingly sacrificed yourself, that we may have peace with you, but also that we may be your witnesses, that we may be your ambassadors, we may be salt and light in all the places that you put us. Father, work in us by your spirit to have a hunger for your word, to long for the truth that it has, long for the difference that it makes that people who spend time in it deeply, that we listen to it, we read it but more than anything else. Help us to be a people of the word, a people who live not for ourselves, but live for your good purposes, for your kingdom and for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.